Right. Well, we've been uh, doing our nuts and bolts series, um, and I've been doing uh, kind of a going through some of the different relationships that God has has instituted for uh, the good of the church, the good of the individual, and for His glory. And today we're going to be talking about parenting. Two quick comments, because I like to do these little quick comments. Uh, The first one, if you're not a parent, I would say this still applies to you, because um, as a Christian, your worldview, your understanding of these things, it just matters. And you're probably going to have opportunities to to kind of parent in some way. Even if you're a grandparent, you still get to kind of have an influence in your grandkids' lives and so forth and so on. Someday you might be a parent, no pressure, but, you know, there's young married couples in our midst. And so you listen, listen, you know, in that regard. The second thing I need to just confess from the start is that um, I am not close to anything resembling a perfect parent. Um, I, I have... Uh, had moments of great success as a dad, and I've had moments of great failures. Sometimes, that, you know, there's been times when I felt like a pretty decent dad, and then times when I felt like a complete failure, and sometimes that's been within the same week. <laughs> that's how parenting goes, right? So um, I got to admit that I had a very arrogant attitude going into parenting. I thought that I was going to do things differently. I had something figured out, and I was going to do it right. And um, what I discovered is parenting is much harder than I ever thought it would be, but I also discovered that God's grace is much greater than I ever thought it could be, and, I, and I'm thankful for that. So this is not me dispensing pearls of wisdom from my years of great, you know, uh, success or anything like that. This is just me doing my best to, to show you what God's Word says on this subject and to, to kind of drill down on what our goals should be as Christian parents. Um, parenting is, is obviously... You know, you look around our world today and you see what's going on. This is something that's critically important. I googled parenting just out of curiosity. 434 billion results came back. And then I just out of curiosity, I googled Christian parenting. Um, And that was uh, actually 2 billion results for, for parenting, 434 million for Christian parenting. I looked at that wrong. But it just tells me a couple things. One, um, parenting isn't easy. And two, people are looking for answers on how to do it. Christians as well. Hopefully, as Christians, we're not necessarily looking to Google as much as we are looking to God's Word for our answers. Um, but, the, you know, the Bible is filled with all kinds of insight and wisdom on, on how to live life successfully and, and to live life with God. And so this is where we look. But I know as, as parents, we all want to see our kids do well. I can't think of much more in life that will make me feel successful when I look back over my life is to see my kids pursuing God, loving God, and serving God. That's going to make me feel like I, I did something right. So when the Apostle John, in, in John or 3 John, he, he talks about this great joy he has to hear that his children are walking in truth. Um, he was talking about spiritual tr- children, but I relate to this completely. If I know that my children are walking in truth, I'm going to feel fantastic. We all want this for our kids, but... Most of us go into parenting relatively unprepared. We have no idea what we're doing when we start out. Like we have ideas of what's going to work, and, and we have thoughts about what we'll never do. You remember saying that as a parent? I'll never do what my parents did. Then you find yourself doing them. Oftentimes, parenting is just trial and error. Uh, sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we don't. But generally, things don't go according to plan. So the first step to successful parenting is to admit you need help. Right? Uh, one of our the great mistakes that I made as a parent is, is I believed that I was going to be a nearly perfect parent who raised nearly perfect kids. I don't know why I thought that, but that was my expectation. When you start out with this kind of arrogant expectation, you're going to have a lot of trouble admitting when things don't end up perfect, when your kids don't end up perfect, when things go wrong. And you're going to have um, kind of 
this, this tendency to want to cover it up out of embarrassment. So I don't know if you've been through that as a parent, but um, we, we go through that. We try to make excuses and shift the blame because it can't be us, right? It, it's got to be something else. So uh, I remember going through this, um, just again, my arrogance blinded me, but my kids started to do bad things and I thought, well, it can't be my fault. Uh, it's got to be these bad kids that they're hanging around with. It must be their parents must stink at this, unlike me. So it must be their fault. That must be what's going on here. Or you think, you know, I've done a great job with my kids, but this culture we live in is so messed up that it's just that's what's got to be what it is. Or the school system failed, or the government failed, or the church failed, or you find a, a way to blame something or somebody else so that you don't have to blame yourself. And then there's this unbearable pressure that we have. We imagine all these other families out there that have perfect kids and perfect families, and they don't have problems. And, and you know, social media doesn't help because everybody portrays their lives as these fairy tale storybook things, and you think, oh, look at how, how great their life is. That's all fake and staged. I mean, most of it is you can, you can, you know. What I've learned is every family I've known, even the most solid Christian families, they go through times of dysfunction. They go through times of hurt. They, they struggle. They have difficulties. And this really shouldn't surprise us that much because it's part of the human condition. It's part of the broken world that we live in. So it's okay for us as parents to be honest about the fact that we need help and that we don't have it all figured out. Um, let me ask you this. When you read your Bible, do you see perfect people, perfect families doing everything right? Is that what you, is that what you read when you read? I mean, it's funny how we do this, but let's just kind of, you know, start at the beginning. Adam and Eve. How, how'd, that, how'd they do as parents? How do you think they felt? They're, you know, they're, one of their sons killed the other son. Like, you think you're doing bad as a parent? You're having a bad day? Hopefully your kids haven't done that. I mean, I got that going for me, I guess. Think about Jacob. You know, he's got the 12 sons, and uh, 11 of them decide they're going to sell one of their brothers into slavery and go back and lie to their dad and tell him he's dead. It's a bad day as a parent, right? How about King David? His son Absalom actually like plotted to kill him, overthrow him, and sit on his throne. Um, you know, I can only think of one set of parents in the Bible who basically raised, you know, were flawlessly successful in parenting, and, and their son was God, <laughs> right? So, so that doesn't count, right? Jesus, you know, Joseph and Mary did a great job with Jesus, because but he was God. The other kids came along, and they probably fouled up that, that record as well. But maybe you can give yourself a little grace next time when your kid throws a fit at the checkout line, and you're embarrassed a little bit, right? Uh, parenting is really hard. The Bible consistently shows us dysfunctional families who look a lot like our own families. And so when you think about what your expectations should be as parents, we need to have realistic expectations. Is perfection the expectation? <laughs> no. No, parenting's difficult. Uh, you, you know, you would think that as important as this is that we would have to pass some kind of test or something before we got to be parents, fill out some kind of a thing, and okay, no, you can't, you, you know, no, anybody can do this. So that means that you're going to make mistakes, probably a lot of them. Um, I can't even take care of myself, let alone some little person that's now relying on me to, to raise them right, and, you know, they're counting on us. The other expectation you have to have is that kids are not perfect. Um, remember where they came from. They came from you, right? <laughs> not to be mean, but uh, they have, you guys have something in common. You're both sinners in need of a savior, right? They're little sinners. You're a big sinner, but, but they came from you. We, I always, you know, when I see the stuff in my kids that, that I don't like, I can almost always think, oh, I know where they got that from. That's right. It's not hard to figure out. So your kids are, are they're not perfect. They're going to make a lot of mistakes. Bottom line is this. We need a hero to save us, to save our kids, to save our families. And fortunately, we have one. Right? So if you're not looking to God for help and relying completely on him, you're going to have a very difficult time 
in parenting. So we need to be just like Solomon. He was faced with, with this task of leading God's people, and God said, ask me for anything. He knew what he needed. He needed wisdom from God, and he wasn't afraid to ask for it. And we need to be that way as parents. That's what we need. We need to humbly ask God for wisdom and for grace to be able to succeed at this job. And the good news is, James 1.5 says that if you, la- if you lack wisdom, you can ask God, and he will give it to you liberally. Just That means just a whole bunch of it. And without reproach, he won't, he won't give you a hard time for asking. He'll be happy that you did. Right? So as a parent, you need help, but the good news is you have help. And I love that God has given him, himself, he's given us his word, and he's given us each other as the church. You know, that, that old saying, it takes a village. That's what the church is. It's, it's full of brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and grandparents that are, we're in this together as a team to succeed as families. Um, we need to take full advantage of that. I think oftentimes we don't. Again, it's our pride and not wanting to admit we need help. But when I think about the collective wisdom that exists in the church, of parents who have been there and done that, right, and survived, um, they can give, they're, they're there to help us. They're there to, to help. Now, sometimes that means they'll tell you what to do, and sometimes it means they'll tell you what not to do. You know, both of those things are true. But we have this collective wisdom that's in the church. We also have people praying. I don't know, how humbling is it for you to know that, that people pray for you and your kids? I love this knowledge that people pray for my kids. Uh, it's just an amazing thing, but I appreciate that so much, and we get to do that for each other. And then, of course, there's all kinds of practical help if we're just willing to ask. Um, so we're not in this alone, which is really, really good news. So when you think about what the goal of parenting is, um, I think you get different, different ideas floating around about this. I, there's obviously the basic or essential things that parenting in, includes, stuff like providing food and clothes and care and shelter, uh, those types of things. There's also helping with the physical and emotional and cognitive social development that kids need to, to make it to adulthood. I think everybody kind of knows that's expected of them. Those are kind of the, the basics. But then there are also... Um, I don't know if you guys have noticed this. There are countless ideas that people have very strong feelings about regarding how you're supposed to parent your children. And they're more than happy to tell you about it. They're, they're, they'll just freely dispense this, like everybody thinks they're an expert. And this is one of those areas where being judgy kind of almost gets a pass. The parents can just walk up to you and be like, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> they'll just, you know, you're doing that all wrong and this is the way you need to do it. It's like, wow, that's weird. That, but there's this weird freedom that people have to do this. Here's the thing, though. There are so many difference on, differences on how people go about this. Um, a lot of it comes down to personal preferences, personal convictions, and not necessarily biblical convictions. If you think about differences in families, some families have just always done it this way, and that's the only way they can think to do it. So that's the right way. There's cultural differences. There's a, uh, the way a kid is raised in Africa and, and the way a kid is raised here, probably completely different. You know, we don't, we have to, we don't think about those things. And then there's also um, just... Um, I can't remember what the next one was. I, I'd lost my place in completely. That's funny. Generational differences. That's it. This is an important one because if you've noticed, if you've got older people uh, in your life and they see the way the younger people are doing it, well, that's not the way we did it. You know, you let your kid talk to you that way. You let them do this. You let them. So generational differences is a big one. And, and it, it doesn't necessarily mean that one thing is right and one thing is wrong. Um, and, and it's so, it's very easy for us to bow to this weird pressure that we're, that people put on us to, to do things a certain way. They may not be our convictions. We may not even see it as a biblical thing, but because there's this pressure, and this starts right away. When they're babies, people will just immediately come up and say, well, you're not feeding them correctly. 
Well, what do you mean? I mean, they're healthy. They're gaining weight. They look, they look good. No, you're, not, you're doing it all wrong. Your sleep schedules are off. You need to, this is the way you want to, you know, this is how, if you want them to sleep right, you've got to do it this way. Uh, you know, you're not, you're not potty training them right. It's like, but they're not, you know, it's going in the, you know, no, no, you're doing it all. I mean, people will just tell you all this, and so you feel this pressure. And it keeps on going into adolescence. It's like, well, your kid's manners should be this way. And, and, and the way you're disciplining is all wrong. And what, what you allow them to watch and what you allow them to play and, and where they go to school. And again, people will just pile this on and pile this on. And you'll begin to feel this overwhelming sense of, you know, what do I do now? I have to please everybody? Well, you have to please God. <laughs> That's who you have to be focused on. Um, there are different parenting styles, but the Bible gives us room on how we go about this, and, and that's good. Uh, there are definitely certain things, though, that God has laid out for us in his word, things he wants us to do as parents. Uh, here's the thing, though. Parents can have a lot of goals for their kids, and, and they can be good goals, but they may not be the goals we're supposed to focus on. So, for instance, when I think about common goals, a lot of things come to mind. And, and I think they're all good things. So I would say we all want our kids to be well-behaved. We want them to be good citizens, get a good education, uh, have a fulfilling career, make lots of money, have a good family, be successful and happy. That sounds like a good grouping of goals, doesn't it? Here's the thing. Non-Christians have those exact same goals for their kids, right? What's missing? God. <laughs> and if that's missing, why the heck does this stuff even matter that much? If they get through this life with all those things and they spend eternity without God, how much does it matter? If God is excluded, it's not good. So I would argue that the Christian goal in parenting is different and it actually supersedes all of these things we just talked about because if the goals that are important to God are met, the rest of this stuff will work itself out. So I'm just going to give you three simple goals for parents to have that I believe if you focus on these... Uh, the, this will set them up well for this life and the life to come. And they're just these. First one is this, that they know their God. Okay. Second one is that they know their identity. And the third one is that they know their purpose. Know their God, know their identity, know their purpose. So the first one is this, know their God. How do we introduce our children to this amazing God? And how do we make sure that they, they know about his character and his attributes and his love and all the things that make him who he is? Deuteronomy 6 talks about the importance of this by telling God's people how they're supposed to incorporate these things into their lives. And this is what it says. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk about them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. So what does this include? It says that we talk about God and his ways when we're sitting around the house, when we're out and about, uh, when we go to bed, and when we get up. So that pretty much means, in case you're you know, not keeping track of this, if you're awake and your kids are nearby, you're on duty. <laughs> it's, this, is, this is what it means. God is supposed to be part of the daily fabric of our lives. And this doesn't have to be boring. I, I think so many people think, okay, well, if we need to do this, let's get a PowerPoint presentation and gather them all in the living room. I'll get my laser pen out and, and we'll talk about, okay, the first attribute of God that we want to discuss tonight. No, it doesn't have to be like that. It can literally be you're out in the yard with your kids and you see a really cool bird and you have an opportunity to point to God as our creator and go look at what he's made you see a sunset you see whatever it is and you get you get an opportunity to to spend time with your kids bragging about your God right what about the everyday stuff of like your provision 
You know, I think sometimes when we think about praying at mealtime, it becomes this weird thing that we do. It's almost like a chore. Do we, are we supposed to pray? Do we have to pray? What are we doing? We're just thanking God for our provision. So at night, you might say, hey, hey kids, we get, to, we, get to, we get to thank God for providing for us. Who wants to thank God tonight? You know, let, let him get out on the action. Yeah, who wants to thank God for what he's done? This is another way to show he's our provider. He's our protector. There's so many things we can focus on. Talk about his grace when you get a chance. Talk about his mercy, his patience, his love, his kindness. Psalm 119, I think it's worth 164, says, Seven times a day I will praise you. Isn't that a cool thing to think about? Try doing it sometime. It sounds easy. You know, you get through the day and you're like, okay, it's, I did it three times. I mean, you can't do it all at once, but like spread it out. It shouldn't be that difficult, but this is what we're to do with our kids. Praise him on a regular basis. Talk about how great he is. And make sure that they know the big story of the Bible. I think so many people have a wrong understanding of the Bible story. It's like, God's mad at you. He doesn't like you very much. You better do something or he's going to kill you. You know, I mean, that's the way things, people think the Bible. That's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is amazing. It has to do with creation, fall, Restoration or redemption and restoration. And all of these things, from a young age, we need to get this story into our kids' lives. And, and even like, like you would tell us a story to a child, we can talk about it. Make sure that they know that God created the world good. He made man and women in his image in such a precious, valuable way, and he dwelled with them in this perfect perfect this perfect world perfect creation but then man and women in their selfishness said you know what we want to do things our way we don't want god and we sinned and we broke everything we broke god's good creation and when that happened we brought in death sin disease all the stuff we don't like about the world we did this and god could have said you know what i'm going to leave that they did that i'm going to leave them in this in this spot but what did he do instead because of his love for us he said you know what i'm going to, i'm going to i'm going to go on a rescue mission I'm going, to, I'm going to love them anyway. I'm going to save them anyway. And, and so in this rescue mission, who, who, who does he bring in as the hero? He sends his son. He's a, the eternal part of the Godhead. He sends his son as a little baby into the world. And this son comes to, to save us by living a life we couldn't live, the perfect life that pleased God. And then he goes to the cross as our substitute, and he pays the debt we couldn't pay. He pays the penalty so that we could live. And, and by going to the cross and suffering and dying and being buried... He rose victoriously three days later. And because of this, now he fixed everything. All the stuff that we broke, all the stuff in creation that got messed up, he's fixed. And he's building a kingdom. He says he's going to prepare a place. When we get to that kingdom, all of this will be better. We won't have death. We won't have disease. I mean, you can almost see your kids getting excited about this. This is like an Avengers story, right? Think about all those movies. You know what they have in common? The world's broken. They've got to come in and save the day. And yay, we have a hero. That's the story of the Bible. But it's the actual story of humanity. Right? We have a superhero named Jesus, and we get to tell our kids about him every day. And we want to make sure that they know this story. So be excited about it. If they see the excitement and the passion in you, uh, they'll get it. They need to know their God. The second thing they need to know is their identity. And this is something that I, I feel so, so heavy and so burdened by looking at people trying to find their identity today. Um, kids are trying to find this identity, and they're, doing, they're looking in so many goofy different directions and ways uh, that are leaving them confused and unsatisfied and, and suicidal because they have no hope in who they are. Our kids need to know that they are loved by the one who made them, that they are incredibly special, made in his image, made to reflect his glory to the world. You know, every one of us in this room has an inestimable value. You were made with intention and with uniqueness, and you matter. 
You know, I, people don't understand this. They don't get it. Our kids need to know this. We are not clumps of cells. We're not a product of random evolution. We're not meaningless. And for those who have trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior, we have this added value of being kingdom people. So that means we've been adopted into God's family. We get to sit at his table. We get to be part of his family for eternity. We get to be, have this internal inheritance. We've been clean. We've been given these white robes of righteousness through Christ. I mean, this is like, this is where I wish I could get a do-over as a dad. Because I did not focus on these things with my kids. I I didn't talk about this kind of stuff. What I talked about was their behavior. It was all performance-based. If you want to make me happy and gain my love and acceptance and approval, you better measure up. You better do your part. You want to make God happy and gain his love and acceptance and approval, you better better be good. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I mean, that's like, (laughs) you know, God's coming to town, and you better better measure up. That's how I thought of, you know, parenting. And I was so wrong, you know. It's contingent on them being good and obedient for me to, to love them or for God to love them. That's not the gospel. That's works. And I also taught them that Christians are the good people and that the people of the world are the bad people. So I created this us versus them thing. And this is big today in Christianity in the church. I see it everywhere I look. It's all over the place. You know what the difference between Christians and non-Christians is? It's Jesus. That's what it is. Right? If there's anything good and righteous about you, guess where it came from? Not you. It came from Jesus. That's the difference. So it's essential that our kids understand that their identity is based in who they are in Christ and in his righteousness and his performance. Otherwise, they're going to spend their life trying to measure up and be good and figure this out. And that leads to one of two things. Either your kids are going to be filled with pride because they think they've done it. Check me out. Check how awesome I am. I did it. I'm righteous. And they walk around with these little Pharisee, smug, you know, self-righteous little brats thinking they're better than everybody else. Right? You've seen them. You know who they are. Um, or they'll be filled with despair, pride or despair, because despair, because they know they can't do it. I'll never measure up. I'll never be good enough. I can't do it. So those are the two options when we teach works-based, performance-based kind of approval. When it comes to God's approval, we can only get it through Christ. And he's the one that makes us righteous. He's the one that makes us blameless through his atoning work on the cross. And this is what the message of the gospel is. We can't produce that on our own, which means that we're no better than anyone else. And we should have great compassion for those who don't know Jesus and they don't know about his amazing redemptive work. We need to instill that in our kids all the time. So our identity is wrapped up in who Jesus is and what he's done for us, and there's such security in that. So they need to know their God, know their identity, and they need to know their purpose. When you think about what your purpose is on earth, I love what the, what the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, that the chief end of men is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Right? This just sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? And this isn't just true for adults, it's true for our kids too. So what does it mean to glorify God? It really means to make him famous, to make him known, to make him seen. As Christians, we've been born from above and indwelled with the Holy Spirit, and so that means we're supposed to reflect God's goodness and his, his glory and his love to those around us. So people often talk about how we're supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus and the way that we love and care for each other. This is kind of what it's talking about. So our goal or purpose in this life is that people will be introduced to Jesus 
because they see the way we live. They see him in us in some, in some weird way. They see this reflection of God in some weird way through, through us that draws them to God and into a relationship with him. That's what we want to do. And if you want basically to pass this passion on to your kids, they need to see it in us. If, they, if this purpose is supposed to be passed on to them, they need to see it in us. If you want to see them place their faith and trust in God, they need to see you doing it. Kids learn from watching. You know, monkey see, monkey do. That's a real thing. So if you want them to trust in Christ, you know, to grab that torch for themselves and then hand it on to the next generation, you've got to be intentional about that. You know, don't hand them a torch that's barely going. <laughs> you know, hand them a nice, bright, burning torch that they can, they can get some use out of and hand to somebody else. That's what we want to see. So we need to model what it means to be a Christian for them, to disciple them or train them to be followers of Christ. Um, to live in a way that glorifies God. So Christian children, or children of all kinds, need to be taught what the Bible calls right and what the Bible calls wrong. This is part of our parenting. This is part of them knowing their purpose and being able to glorify God. They also need to be taught that what they reap, they sow. That means there's consequences for their actions. This is just part of what parenting teaches kids. But we we need to make sure they know that this isn't, again, approval-based stuff. It's just like if you do this, this this is what's going to happen. These are the consequences. It doesn't mean you'll be disowned by God or by us. Love is unconditional. God's love and parents' love needs to be unconditional. And this is huge for a child to get. So as a parent who's been given the task of training or discipling your children, it's going to be really important for you to get this right. Um, and and it's, it's very similar to what we have to do as pastors every time we get up here and preach the gospel of grace. Because it can very much sound like Jesus has done everything, you don't need to do anything, live however you want to, it doesn't matter. That's not the message of the gospel. The message is Jesus has done everything, he's made you righteous so that you can now live in worshipful obedience to him. You, you get to, to please him in your actions and kids need to learn this message as well. So, our kids need to know that our love for them isn't conditional but that doesn't mean we don't train them to do what's right. Uh, And God has given parents the primary responsibility to do this. So what is involved in training our children? Um, You know, it's part of this is that that word discipline. And it's almost a bad word today. It sounds, sounds, I don't know, it sounds mean. People hear discipline and they get upset. But it really comes from the word disciple. That's what you're doing. You're discipling your kids when you discipline. So because we've seen discipline done in a sinful way doesn't mean that it's a sinful thing. It can be done in a sinful way, but, you know, I think because so many of us saw discipline had to do with people losing their temper, um, freaking out, yelling, you know, uh, those aren't God-honoring ways to, to disciple your kids. There's nothing about that that we should be doing. So when you think about discipline, you need to understand that it's not meant to be punitive or vindictive. It's meant to be corrective and to help our kids grow into the likeness of Christ. So it has to do with training, correction, instruction, guidance, those kinds of things. And as a parent, uh, you need to figure out how you're going to discipline your kids. This is something you need to pray about and determine. Uh, This is a controversial subject in our day and age for some reason, but people have different ideas about the best way to go about it. I think the Bible gives us some some good ideas, um, but you need to figure this out. You also need to keep in mind, every kid is different. So I don't know if you've noticed this. There's There's a great verse in Proverbs 22, 6. It says, train up a child in the way they should go. And the idea is every child's different. Their heart's different. So you can just give one kid a, a kind of a stern glance, you know, and they'll fall right into line. Like, oh, okay, you know, I'll be good now. Uh, with another kid, you might have to do something like solitary confinement, right? 
and that might be what, what gets their attention. Uh, for another kid, you might have to call in the National Guard. You know, it might, it might come to that. You know, there may be some more extreme measures. We had some of each. Uh, but, but you need to think about what your kid is like. So if you've got a kid that's introverted like me, and you send them to their room for three hours, you just rewarded me. It's like, that's the best thing I can think of to do. You haven't punished me. But if you take a kid that's very extrovert, that always needs to be around people, and you say, go to your room, that's, that's punishment for them. That's a big deal. So we need to keep in mind that every kid is different. Regardless of what method you choose, just make sure you do it. Because I think what happens today is most parents just give up. They give up on discipline. Uh, they seem helpless to get their kids to obey. And that means that their kids are the ones running the show. And we've all seen this. Um, parents have to give in to their children and give them what they want to avoid conflict, just to make it through the day. And, and, and that's, you know, the scriptures make it clear. God expects the parent to be in charge of the kids, not the other way around. So it may be easier to give in to your children, to give them whatever they want, and to do, you know, everything for them for a time. But eventually, what's it going to lead to? They're going to turn into a very rotten adult who's used to only get in their way all the time. And we don't want that. So Proverbs 29, 17 says, Discipline your son or daughter, and he will give you rest, and he will give delight to your heart. So there's a payoff when you do this well. So I'm going to give you seven practical guidelines to use in disciplining. All right? I picked seven because it's the number of perfection, not because the... <laughs> no, there's just seven. Last week, you were promised seven, and I heard you didn't get... Like, David skipped number seven. Everybody was like, well, there's no seven. So I'm going to actually give you seven. First one is this. Never discipline when you're angry. And this sounds like a no-brainer, but this is how it happens. You're in your chair watching TV, or you're trying to watch your favorite show or whatever, and your kid's doing something, and you say, hey, stop doing that. And then... Uh, you know, you, you, you kind of forget about it for a second. You look over and they're still doing it. And so you say again, hey, I warned you. You know, I'm going to count to three, whatever. And then you don't do anything again. You go back and you look over and you do it. Well, this happens seven or eight times. By the end of that point, you're fighting mad now, right? Now you're ready to take heads because you didn't get up to begin with and deal with it when you weren't angry. So you got to keep in mind, there's this progression that, that we, we go through. Um, it's best to, like first-time obedience, when you first tell a kid something, that's when you need to deal with it. You're not mad at that point. If you do tend to find that you're angry, tell them to go, wait, and you go get yourself squared away. Go in your room, pray, settle yourself down. Never go in angry. Never go in hot. Remember, Jesus is in the room with you, right? And he's watching what you're doing, and, and your kids are learning what to do to their kids. This is a big deal. Never discipline angry. All right, here's the other one. Number two, try not to discipline or correct your children in front of people in a way that humiliates them. I see this happen a lot. It's convenient just to yell across the room at them. It, you know, there's no respect in, in disciplining your kid in, in a humiliating way in front of people. So try to do it in private. Number three, you know, when you get pulled over by a cop, what do they ask you? Do you know why I pulled you over today? Why do they ask you that? They want to have an idea if you know what you did wrong. And as parents, you know, don't ask them, why. do you know why I pulled you over today? I mean, you, but, but give your kid a chance to tell you what they did. Find out if they know. You're about to discipline them. They ought to know why, right? So give them the chance to admit what they've done, to see the wrong in it, to confess it, and to ask forgiveness. That all needs to probably take place pretty early on in the conversation. Um, and you're also, again, modeling what we do with God. When we grieve our God, we confess, which just means to agree that what we did was wrong. And we ask forgiveness. That's, that's the way, um, that's the way it, uh, it goes. 
Uh, Number four, our discipline should always target the heart and not necessarily the behavior. So the behavior is simply revealing something else that's going on. There's something else going on inside this kid, um, and and so we need to ask questions to get to the root of it. And a lot of times you'll find out what the real issue is that's symptomatic of, you know, why the behavior is showing up. What's the real issue? Number five is that discipline should always point our kids to the gospel as the answer to sin. So Jesus came to pay for our sins and to, to allow us to walk in newness of life. So when you're disciplining your kids, you always want to bring up the story of the gospel, how Jesus came to forgive us for our sins, and, and that he's the answer. He's the way that this works. Number six, I would say mix in grace occasionally. So if you walk in and your kid's done something horrible, especially if it's a bigger offense, and you walk in that day and say, you know what? You're forgiven today. No consequence, no discipline. I want to show you what God did for me. You know, God should have paid me for this, and he gave it to me. You know, he gave me grace instead. So model that grace for them sometimes. And then number seven, the last one, is make sure that the discipline, whatever you you decide to do, wipes out the offense. So just like Jesus does for us, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far I've removed this transgression from you. You're forgiven, and the kids need to be forgiven. So you don't withhold affection, like, well, I'm not hugging you today, or you don't talk harshly to them, or you don't, you know, keep bringing it up. Hey, remember that time when you, you know, no, it's over. The offense is done. Treat them the same way God treats you regarding your sins. So if discipline is done correctly, your child should feel loved when all is said and done. They, they should actually feel like, well, my parents really care about me. The same way God does with us. You know what it says in Hebrews? It's like God doesn't just discipline everybody. He disciplines his own kids because he loves them. And it's proof that you're a real son or daughter if he disciplines you. And so our kids should get the same sense. The task of discipline is hard work. Uh, some days it feels like that's all we do as parents, right? It takes a lot of intentional effort. But if we love our kids, we will be diligent in discipline. Um, we need to begin the job of training and correcting from day one. I know that sounds weird, but kids are, you know, they're little sinners from the start. <laughs> I just, I, I can remember thinking, oh, they're not. I remember one of my kids before I could even say anything to him, he was, he was messing with a plant and I looked over at him. He was getting ready to grab it. And I said, I'll say his name, Zane, don't grab that plant. And he looked at me and he went, I mean, he just stared me down like, and I thought, oh boy. I mean, this, this little kid had a rebellious, sinful heart right from the start. So you don't wait. You know, someday I'll get to the discipline. No, from day one, it starts, and it goes until maybe 20, 30, 40. <laughs> depends on the kid. <laughs> Some of you are going, oh, it keeps going. Um, it's a big commitment and responsibility. This is 20 years minimum per child, right? So it's a lot. But here's the thing. A parent who rarely is around their kids or is completely disengaged when they are with them is going to have a very difficult time helping them to know their God, helping them to know their identity, and helping to know their purpose. And I know it can be hard because sometimes both parents work, there's single-parent homes, there's a lot of challenges, but God has given you this responsibility and this privilege. It's not anybody else's job to do this. Yes, we have, there's help for sure, but don't, your kids are going to be trained by somebody, right? Is it going to be TikTok? Is it going to be his friends at school or the school system? Or is it going to be you? So make every effort to be involved in the lives of your kids. Make it a top priority, even if that means simplifying your lifestyle. Maybe it means less time fishing or hunting. I know, sorry, but maybe it means less time, whatever it is that you like to do. Maybe it means you're pouring into them more often. I didn't mean to go personal there. Sorry about the hunting and fishing thing, guys. (laughs) You can have my tootsie roll when it's all said and done. Um, Make the most of the opportunity because here's the thing. 
it goes so fast. I mean, how many parents can, can attest to the fact that it, it goes like, it's amazing how quickly it goes. Uh, you know, there's days when you think it'll never end, and then one day it's just like, wow, it's over. It's weird. So your time is precious. I'll, I also want to just stress this. Don't, don't underestimate basically the, um, the important role that you have as a mom or a dad. Guys, there's lots of places you guys can go and talk and visit right now. Well, I mean, just, you know, if you want, we want you here, but man, it's making it hard. Just please. Okay, well, just, just, uh, just help us out, man, please. I don't know. I just, it's, yeah. Sorry, man. Didn't even go there. I've been trying, but trying to have cohesive thoughts and hearing that, and it's just, it's, it's a struggle. So help me out, please. Okay, don't underestimate your, your role as a mom or dad. Um, how many of you guys were raised by an incredible, godly mom? And, and the impact that that can have. Moms are like nobody else on the planet, right? You can't put a price on what a mom is. So, so just understand your, your role and your value in the life of your kid. Um, I, I, you know, this is the person that, that shows their kid the unconditional love more than anybody, that nurtures their child more than anybody, that's their champion. You know, the, the way that my wife loves my kids and, and is always there for them and always just, I mean, it's amazing. You cannot put a price on that. So moms need to be present. There's nobody else that can do what you do. It's important. The, the amazing thing is, though, that the role of a dad, it might surprise you to know, is even greater. And the statistics show this. A dad who's not present in the home, um, all of the, the, the horrible, I didn't want to go through this, the list, but there's a, a list compiled by the Department of Justice that talks about everything that goes wrong in, in child, you know, childhood and everything that they do. The stats go through the roof when a dad's not present. And I, and I just say that to just kind of shock you into knowing this should be sobering to you as a dad, the role that, that you play in your kids' lives. It's huge. Ephesians chapter 6 says that fathers are to, to bring up their children in the training and instruction of the Lord. Dads, you're supposed to bring up your kids. Isn't that funny? We think, oh, that's the mom's job. I'll just go provide and you know, put food on the table. No, you're supposed to have an active role in this. This means you're not supposed to just be present, but take the lead. And, and be the spiritual leader of your home. And I would just ar- tell you straight up, too many dads have dropped the ball in this area, especially in the spiritual arena. And this is huge because if a dad doesn't show interest in spiritual things, right, and mom is the only one who takes an interest in knowing the Lord and reading the Word and praying with the kids, sons are going to conclude that it's not masculine to be a Christian. And, and they're going to leave the church. And daughters... <laughs> are going to marry somebody just like their dad because that's what they do. So they're going to marry some guy that has no interest in God either. This is big. I would suggest this is exactly what's happened to the church. Dads have fallen down here, and it's time for us to step up and start fulfilling this role that God has given us to fulfill as men. It's a big, big deal. So I already mentioned parenting's hard. But you've been given help. You have God's spirit, God's word, God's people. You have one other thing that, that I didn't mention that we often overlook, and this is the secret weapon of prayer. <laughs> I don't know why we use this as a last resort, and I call it a secret weapon because your kids don't even know you're doing it, right? It's like hiding vegetables in their, you know, in their food. They don't even know they're there. They're just eating them, and it's good for them. They don't know what's going on. That's how prayer is. You know, I can't tell you how many times Joy and I got to the end of our rope, tried everything we could try, and then went, oh, yeah. We could pray. And then we did, and guess what happened? God acted. 
I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's nuts how, how, you know, I wish we spent more time on our knees for our kids and less time trying to fix them ourselves because I tried both. Prayer was much more effective. Now, some of you have children that have gone astray um, and you aren't sure what's going to happen. You know, I, I know I've got a couple of those myself. Um, you know, in the words of a very wise man, never give up. Never surrender. <laughs> keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Ask others to get involved. And we can do like a full air assault on these kids, and they won't know what hit them. So get other people involved in praying for these guys. And, and you know what? Cling to God's promise. If I started a work, I will finish it. He says that, and he is faithful. So if you, if you saw a work in your kid, and one of your kids, you saw something, cling to that promise that he's going to come back to it. I said at the beginning, parenting is much harder than I ever imagined it would be, but God's grace is much bigger than I ever imagined it to be. And I know some of you guys are probably like me. You made a lot of mistakes. You missed a lot of opportunities with your kids. I would just say go to God, confess that, and ask him to forgive you, and then go to your kids and do the same thing. <laughs> this is hard to do, but I've done it with every one of my kids. I've gone to them and said, I'm sorry for the way that I was as a dad at times. I'm sorry for the way that I failed. And I acknowledged what those things were. And I asked them to forgive me. And they did. But this is huge for your kids to understand that you don't have it all figured out. You did some stuff wrong. And I just want to say in closing, that it's amazing what God's grace can repair. I mean, it blows my mind. Uh, it reminded me, we used to live in a house uh, in Bend and I was tearing out a vanity in the bathroom. And I got a little carried away, and I took this huge chunk of wall out with it. I mean, it was big. And I'm not really a, a handy guy. I could rip things out, but, you know, fixing things is, is different. So, so I did, you know, my best. I took a plaque that had a fancy saying on it, and I stuck it over that hole. Right? That's my attempt to fix things. And even with my kids, that's what it's like. You know, I don't know what to do. I'll just stick a plaque over it and hope nobody notices. Well, we found this guy. He was going to the church at the time. He, he's just this master craftsman repairman. And he came in, and, and he filled it in with drywall, and, and you know, he mudded it, and, he, and then he sanded it, and then he sprayed it, and then he painted it. And it was like it never happened. And this is what God's grace is like for us. We leave, we leave these holes and these marks and sometimes these chasms in our kids' lives, and God comes in without hardly any effort at all and applies his grace to it and, and makes it beautiful again like it didn't happen. And I am so thankful that we have a God like that who delights in, in taking our garbage and the stuff we mess up and turn it into something amazing and beautiful. So here's a verse for you as a parent if you need some grace. Lamentations 3.21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So let that bathe over you at those times when you're starting to feel like a failure as a parent and remember that. Your job is important. It, it, it's, it's huge. Your kids are on loan to you from God. Love them with all you have. Teach them to love our great Savior. Cherish the time you get with them and impress on them the importance of passing this amazing legacy of knowing God onto the next generation. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you that we get to, to be in your presence to, to just take part in, in um, enjoying fellowship and family time with each other. Lord, we pray for our kids, uh, wherever they are right now, whatever is going on in their lives, we pray that they, each one of them would know you, 
that they would know their precious identity and value in you and that they would know the, the purpose that you have for them and that they would embrace it. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you please just capture their hearts and, um, and save them to the uttermost, we ask in his name. Amen.